Today on the Tapping Show, Vivek Ramaswamy interviews John Papa John. The UAW makes a concession now they only want a mere 36% wage increase. Affordable housing is becoming uninsurable. A man is jailed for free speech. The courtroom releases a rebuttal video. You have Walmart, they may invest in senior living care. Birkenstock warns of knockoffs in their IPO paperwork. Elon's Doji supercomputer adds more value to stock than all of BMW. Coke to add a new flavor made by AI. And BP chief resigns after an investigation. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-add reseller and service company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder least twice a day. Guys, he's quite handsome and brilliant. Excuse me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're giving away a free flamethrower with every September purchase. Click the website toppingtechnologies.com to learn a little bit more. Lastly, try to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. I know it's a tall order, but I appreciate you clicking that button. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Walmart evaluating a senior care purchase. Now, specifically, they're looking to acquire a group by the name of Chen Med in a multi-billion dollar deal. Now, Chen Med is a business that focuses on care for seniors, particularly those who are moderate to low income with complex chronic conditions. Now, this move is also the latest in a myriad of deals for primary care practices, including CVS Health, purchasing a company for $10.6 billion by the name of Oak Street Health, and Amazon's $3.9 billion of a purchase of a company by the name of One Medical. Now, of course, given the size and vast complexities of these types of deals, it may very well take weeks until it's actually you know, signed off on the dotted line, so to say. But it is fascinating to see Walmart continue to try to grow into multiple categories, and really the question is, will they succeed in this new one? When they'd certainly need to expand because as I've said before on the show, grocery chains are one of the worst investments in terms of the gross profit margins. Most grocery stores operate on a 2% profit margin. So one little mistake and bam, everything's gone to hell and handbasket pretty quick. So when it comes to diversifying your portfolio and getting some new things in it, it would make sense to try to expand the categories. Now, the senior care industry is a pretty precarious one to say the least. I've worked with a couple throughout the years with my technology company and depending on the size and scope, a lot of the nursing homes are, there's a lot of risk involved and there's a lot of regulations and there are a lot of bankruptcies. So this will certainly expand Walmart's capabilities and obviously it'll increase their sales, but it's also a pretty sizable risk that they're going into as well. Just by the nature of the industry in and of itself. So I'll be interested to see if they go fully through with this, or maybe after some investigation, they look at the books a little bit closer. And then by the books, I mean, they're looking at the Chen Medical books and looking at their accounts payables, seeing where the real liabilities, where the real assets, maybe they'll choose to walk away, but it'll be interesting to see Walmart continue to expect grow. And although there's a lot of risk, I won't be too surprised if they decide to go through with it. Other interesting business news, you have Birkenstock warning of knockoffs in their IPO filing paperwork. Now, Birkenstock is actually a hundred, no, 249 years old, founded by Jonathan Adam Birkenstock over in Germany. Now, allegedly they're worn by heterosexual men. I've never seen this. I think that's a rumor, but that I, I did do some fact checking on the internet. I, I did not find a single use case. I don't believe it's a real thing. 
But in all seriousness, they have been making sandals since seemingly the dawn of time, and they are knocked off pretty much every which way you go. You look at eBay, all the e-commerce sites, there's a lot of knockoffs. It's a very popular sandal design, and it's one of those instances where, depending on who you ask, sometimes the knockoff is terrible, it's just as good. There's so many knockoffs on Amazon, they actually made a big deal about leaving the e-commerce platform completely about seven years ago. So, which begs the question, I wonder where the heck people are actually buying these products for people who want Birkenstocks. I think I met two people throughout my life who's actually worn those. But nevertheless, it's interesting. Most companies are really desperate to get more e-commerce sales and Amazon's one of the most popular way to do it. And yet Birkenstock chose to walk away from it as opposed to having an official page on the company like other brands do. So it's interesting that they chose to walk away from that situation. Now, in terms of you know actual quotes from it, they said, quote, in the past, two, third parties have established websites to target users on Facebook and other social media platforms with quote unquote lookalike websites intended to trick users into believing they're purchasing Birkenstock products at a steep discount. That was exactly in their filing. They continue to say, quote, should counterfeit products be successfully sold on e-commerce platforms managed by third parties, our brands and reputation could be damaged, unquote. Well, I was going to say your brand's been damaged for quite many years. I, again, it's, if I just look at a stock image of a Birkenstock sandal, I, it's one of those things where it's not really a... Let's see, who wears Birkenstocks sandals? I've never seen them. Yeah, every single... Let's see. Unless it's just Google Images. Yeah, it's all women. Which, again, that's, that's half the market. Ugh. So he's... I'll never, I guess there's, there's one man, allegedly. Might have to fact check that. But it's one of those things where, why do you ever wear socks with sandals is beyond me. Ridiculous to say the least. But yeah, it looks like all the marketing is about what you would think. Which again, targeting half the market is still 50% sales. But I mean, their brand's been the butt of a lot of jokes throughout the years. And... It's one of those instances where I don't know how many people are really going out to buy the product. I mean, it's kind of like those little crack shoes. A lot of people bought them, but those are pretty darn durable. I don't know the frequency of how often they need to buy those darn things. Same with Birkenstocks. I, again, I don't know how much demand there is. They're going to go through the IPO, but it'll be interesting to see how they're going to try to combat all these counterfeits. Do they just hire a new social media manager to further make their pages look more authentic on social media? Because that's where a lot of the sales are happening. I mean, TikTok just launched an e-commerce capabilities. And that's a huge part of the market. Just people flooding to that social media network. So it'll be interesting to see what Birkenstock chooses to do. Do they just continue to try to avoid the inevitable of the rise of e-commerce? Or do they try to strategically conquer it? Let me in the comments what you think would be better for their company outlook. Needless to say, granted, I'm no financial analyst. I don't give financial advice. But I wouldn't be buying their stock anytime soon, personally. But time shall tell me it'll be a huge mistake. Probably not, but maybe. Other interesting business news, you have Elon's Doji supercomputer adding more stock value than all of the stock value of BMW to Tesla stock, which I was also justified to say, just further prove the point, they're a tech company, not a car company. They're gathering a lot of data that a lot about, not a lot of people are really talking about, but there's a lot of analytical data, geographical data. They're collecting it all. 
And of course, they're developing some fantastic softwares as well. So it looks like, and this is from an analyst saying, quote, the more we looked at Dojo, the more we realized the potential for underappreciated value in the stock. Unquote. This is from Morgan Stanley. They continue to say they the report upgraded Tesla to was effectively a quote unquote buy rating. Naming it the top pick of the preceding shares that we returned to the historic value of four hundred dollars from November two thousand twenty one in the twelve months time. Which again, of all the stocks that have shot to the stratosphere, Tesla is probably one of the most popular name recognized one that people have seen. And again, everyone it's, hindsight's always twenty twenty with investing. I still kick myself for not buying any Tesla stock throughout the years. Granted, I don't know how much I would actually enjoy driving one since they're all obviously automatic EV vehicles. They don't have a three pedals as every fun car should have, also known as manual transmission. But nevertheless, it seems it took them a while, but they're becoming a more and more profitable venture. Now, they continue to say Doja represents Tesla's attempt to solve one of the biggest hardware problems facing AI, the bottlenecks in memory and storage and bandwidth that inhibit effective scaling of the technologies. And they say this is particularly true when it comes to training on visual data which makes sense that the tech they're looking to implement in these vehicles, as far as I can tell, doesn't really exist. So they're going to have to do a couple of creative things to actually make it happen. And one of the issues when you're ingesting all that data from all those cameras is how do you comprehend it? How do you store it? Because visual, visually speaking, that's one of the highest bandwidth as well as the highest storage costs associated with audiovisual. You'll get a show like this and all the video data raw is a little under, I don't want to say it's about a terabyte, but the audio, that's, shoot, not even two gigs. So it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. Now, they continue to say, during production in July, Dojo is supposed to rapidly expand the equivalent of 300,000 NVIDIA A500 GPUs for a total compute of 100 exaflops which is a measurement of supercomputer operational speed. And they expect that to be done by October next year. So that's certainly some ambitious goals. And that's another interesting speculation. If they have such a big demand, will they eventually just start to make all their own GPUs? And you're seeing this more and more as giant computer technology companies. NVIDIA, for all intents and purposes, has a basically a monopoly on graphic cards. If you want a graphic cards, even if it's not manufactured by NVIDIA, it's licensed by them. So like, for example, the editing PC I use for the podcast, it has a NVIDIA design, but the graphic card is actually made by Gigabyte. So they will license out the design and have third-party manufacturers it in addition to the ones that they make as a first party as well. And it's one of those things where I think when you get into the economies of scale, especially being a larger company, there can be some significant savings to just building it yourself as well as having more control of the technology and you're able to design it exactly how you want. And of course you control that technology because it's your intellectual property. So there's a lot of upside to that. And in order to get to true autonomous driving, get to the real sci-fi that Elon really is pushing for, they're going to need some revolutionary technologies. And I suspect this will help them in the long run. And it's fascinating to see just the speculation, just the news of this supercomputer added more stock value to Tesla than all of the current stock value of BMW, which is astronomical to say the least. And also goes to show you how much different Tesla is than any other automotive company. And it'll be interesting to see what's the cap on the Tesla stock, if there is any, or they just seemingly go up exponentially.
I mean, don't get me wrong, all stocks drop from time to time, but they certainly tend to be doing a pretty exponentially good job. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation got charged three cents. So it really should be four. I'm a generous man. Though, still free to click that subscribe button. Other interesting business news, you have Coca-Cola coming out with a new flavor, completely made by AI. Now, artificial intelligence will surely revolutionize many parts of the business and many parts of our lives. Other parts, I think it'll be more of a novelty in the marketing shtick. Now, it'll be interesting to see, again, you're not going to have a flavor that's more popular than Coca-Cola or rather Coca-Cola Classic. They tried New Coke back in the 80s and people hated the taste so much they brought back Classic Coke, which is why when you buy Coca-Cola today, they'll say Coca-Cola Classic on the bottle because it's the original formula minus the Colombian marching powder. And it actually increased their sales exponentially, helped them catch up to Pepsi with the good old Cola Wars. Now, it looks like this new limited edition beverage that Coca-Cola made with using AI is called Y3000. And it says it was actually co-created right on the can. So they are really leaning in to the marketing aspect of this. Now granted, for all I know, it could taste better than anything on the planet, perhaps. Though I'm kind of skeptical how good high fructose corn syrup in a can could really taste. But the company claims that they use AI to combine flavors that people associate with the future to come with up with a mood board that inspired the packaging design as well. So AI created the flavor of the new corn syrup can as well as the design of corn syrup can. It's pretty impressive. It'll be interesting to see, is this a long-term product that's gonna be fiscally viable? Like, will they make a profit on it? Or are they just trying to show off their technology capabilities as every company, whether they know it or not, is becoming a technology company. This is where a lot of the intellectual property is coming from and it's a big value add to the business where, you know, subsequently in earlier years, it seemed just to be an anchor, a sunk cost. More and more people are starting to associate it with it being value and something that could actually drive value to the business. And they're not the first to do this. They also had other companies such as Bex, such as Mars, Mars being the giant candy company. And they used AI to develop players as well. And I know, I think it was about 12, 48 months ago, you have Microsoft working with a brewing company and they used Microsoft AI to come out with a new brewery inspired beer. So it's, it's they're certainly not the first to market. I mean, will it be really that popular? That's where I'm a little skeptical. As I always say, time shall tell. Going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have the quartering coming out with a rebuttal video and getting overwhelming support. Now, he is probably one of the most popular podcasters and YouTubers when it comes to covering news around uh, cultural issues. And he has, I believe, like 1.5, what was it, 1.5 or 1.6 million followers. He's extraordinarily successful. And one of the brilliant things he's done to continue that success trend is he created his own coffee brand. Successfully and appropriately named Coffee Brand Coffee, which A minus for marketing. That's pretty clever. I'm not going to lie. That's, of all the names you could have chosen with, that's a pretty darn good one. Now, apparently, some people were complaining that, and he's, in terms of controversy, he really is not that controversial. Most of his, I would say most of his political ideals are in the middle. Most people probably associate him with being a quote, quote, old school liberal. But of course, nowadays, if you just have one opinion, that's not completely far left. You're immediately pejoratively labeled far right, which we've seen all too often, which is how we have people actually calling 
Joe Rogan far right, which he is the furthest from far right. Most of his opinions are overwhelmingly traditionally and nowadays liberal, but Joe Rogan has a couple of opinions and they assume, oh yeah, he's got to be far right now. And they pejoratively label him that. Now, it looks like Coffee Brand Coffee, he always has his coffee company trying to be 100% apolitical. And I don't know if that's realistic these days. I know holding companies, maybe. You have Unilever, who I would joke hypocrisy or hypocritically, Unilever has not only Dove shampoo and Dove deodorant for women, where they have ginormous women and advertisements praising their lack of effort to go to the gym. And the same company that says, oh yeah, all these women are beautiful. They also own Axe Body Spray and Axe, which lies to you because contend to this day, if you take Axe Body Spray and you spray it on you in the commercials, hot women don't automatically come towards you. So the same company that pretends that they care about, you know, body positivity, which is a ridiculous thing in and of itself for the most part. They also say that traditionally hot women will actually come towards you if you use Axe Body Spray. It's the same holding company. So a lot of people question their authenticity or maybe they just let all their independent brands do what they do. Now, I'll play a little bit of Jeremy's video here where he talks about how these people came out of the woodwork to start attacking him. All these stuff like that to help sell Coffee Brand Coffee, a brand that I built to be apolitical. Uh, it's literally called Coffee Brand Coffee to drive that issue home. Well, I had what uh, was a coordinated effort by um, people yesterday to smear my company and smear uh, me in particular. I want to address that. I want to treat it with the appropriate amount of uh, response because this was an attempt to smear my company, a company that, you know, w when I told my affiliate manager to reach out to people, I said, don't, I didn't say no lefties. I didn't say no liberals. I didn't say no uh, feminists. I didn't say no um, women. In fact, we have many women that. who are uh, affiliates for Coffee Brand Coffee. Um, in short, what happened was several uh, affiliates coordinated this uh, smear campaign that uh, referred to me and my company as having deeply disturbing uh, things, and they got tens of thousands of impressions. And of course, you know, people that um, hate me picked that up, and uh, I need to address it because, you know, I'm still. You know, it turns out what the, the deeply disturbing thing is that they found out is that they don't agree with my personal politics. It's funny, with all these situations, you really only see that quote-unquote cultural cancellations go one way. Perhaps one of the most famous examples being My Pillow, where the CEO came out and Mike actually supported Donald Trump. He lost contracts with some of the largest companies on the planet because of his political opinions. He lost Bed Bath Beyond. That was a huge contract for my pillow, he lost Walmart contract, another huge contract for the company, just because of his political opinions. I and let me know in the comments: Have you ever seen anyone culturally canceled or have their product removed from a store for having a political opinion on the left? You've seen instances where consumers will purchase less, similar to Bud Light, and you have Liberty Safes, which many people are now pejoratively called liberal safes because they had a backdoor to the government pun moderately intended, but you're not seeing stores drop the brand yet. You have Costco dropping one of the Bud Light brands because it wasn't selling, but none of these stores have, as of April 2nd, after the Bud Light, you know, 
business blunder of the century where they had Dylan Mulvaney as a brand ambassador. I didn't see any stores come out and specifically say we are boycotting Bud Light right now. It really wasn't happening too much. The major big stores, the Walmarts of the world, the Kroger's of the world, none of them really chimed in like that. You have stores that are selling a lot less of it, but that's because the consumers are purchasing less. They may be losing shelf space, but I'm not seeing a single store come out proudly saying we will no longer sell this. You have mom and pop bars, but again, I let me know in the comments. Can you name some specific examples where these cultural cancellations go the other way? I've been looking for a couple of years and uh, it eludes me at the moment. I can't think of a single instance. Uh, which to me is pretty pathetic given I don't agree with their personal politics, but I'm still happy to pay them to promote my coffee and things of that nature. It, it, in this instance, he kind of reminds me of a Republican politician, which there's a lot of Republican politicians who they don't want to rock the boat. They want to do the status quo and treat that treat others like they would, you want to be treated. But let me in the comments. I think those times are gone for many instances. You see this where Democrats have tried to indict Trump, what is it, 70 million times by now? And Republicans, Republicans might, might, might try to indict Biden. And I say might because, historically speaking, Republicans, their list of accomplishments could be written on a bar cocktail napkin. And it's someone where I wish they would do more. I wish they would repeal the NFA. I wish they would fight for the Second Amendment. I wish they would fight for the First Amendment. There are a lot of things where I'll vote for someone because they say, oh yeah, we're going to get, we're going to get concealed, we're going to get reciprocity between the states for concealed carry. We're going to have some recipro reciprocity. It's one of those weird words, reciprocity, reciprocal. It eludes me at the moment. No, the condition in which you're allowed to go, if you pass all the rules to have concealed carry license in one state, you can carry in other states. A lot of states have agreements with each other and that carries over, there's some politicians who said, oh yeah, we should have that be you know countrywide. And I said, that'd be great. And of course, those politicians more often than not are on the Republican side of the aisle. And then they get to the office and they do nothing. Same with the suppressors. You had an act or a proposal to get them off the NFA, also known as the National Firearms Act. They would actually be put on a standard 1099 background check. So it would still be a purchase when you purchased it like a firearm. You have traditional sales tax, which I find morally abhorrent for that instance especially, because you're not supposed to be taxed for your God-given rights. But it was one of those things where instead of the additional $200 tax stamp, as well as the more invasive background checks and the not usually nine-month delay waiting period because of the ineptitudes and inefficiencies of the U.S. government, it'd be a standard 4473 paperwork, which is the paperwork you fill out when you buy a firearm from a federal firearms licensee holder, also known as an FFL or your local gun shop. And there are a lot of politicians who said, oh yeah, we're going to get this you know, take the suppressors, take them off the NFA. They'll be treated as a standard firearm transaction. And I said, great, Republicans, get it done. And they did, they, they did nothing. It's woefully disappointing, to say the least, which is why I always tell people, all right, we need to vote for someone else now, primary this candidate, get them out, find someone who'll do something better. And hopefully we'll find some of those folks. Now, but when it comes to the norms... That's why you don't see a lot of Republicans attacking Democrats like you do in the media or even in the House of Representatives. They're all very pinky high, trying to be fancy, trying to be cordial. And yet the opposite side will venomously attack them on social media and Republicans just do nothing. Like it's one of those instances where 
you can't have one side playing by an entirely different set of rules and the writer's just pretending like, oh yeah, these are the same, this is the same situation politically speaking we had 20 years ago. Well, quite the opposite. You're having things that have never happened to the United States. And yet, they're still acting like everything is normal. They're not doing anything about it. Interestingly enough. So, when it comes to the norms, they're not the ones breaking the norms, but they are the ones sitting there doing absolutely nothing. Which, we'll see. You're welcome to where I will- And Jeremy's trying to give these people opportunity. Literally trying to give them a ability to provide for themselves and the, in theory their family by giving them an affiliate link. Which is just simply put, you actually have a link inside the body of, or however you want to represent it, but they make a percentage off of that. And yet, talk about biting the hand that it feeds, they're critiquing Jeremy, who's the quartering, because his political opinions, which, again, why back the clock, shoot, 10 years ago, none of his opinions could be considered controversial to say the least. But I dig partially digress. I turn down sponsors all the time. But in general, what I don't do is uh, <laughs> never do anything for them and then use them for clout, which is what these people do. Now, don't go searching them up. I, I don't think, I think I made my point yesterday. But one of them tweeted, effective immediately. I And again, I'm not saying one methodology is correct versus the other, but he's saying don't search, don't search them up and critique them. Why not? Th these are literally the people attacking you and he's still taking the traditional high road, which... Let me know in the comments, is that still a viable option these days? I never advocate any form of violence, but in terms of political discord, verbally speaking, why not call out the turncoats who literally stabbed you in the back? So that way, I would argue, then people know not to support their particular podcast. Because if, if someone wants to support Jeremy in the quartering, then they would want to know, okay, let's not support Sally on her YouTube channel because she got the benefit of using the affiliate link. But then for social clout, or virtual signaling, however you want to call it, she then threw him under a, under the bus, pretending like he has some controversial, morally abhorrent stance, which, again, he really doesn't. But again, I partially digress. I've chosen to end my partnership with Coffee Brand Coffee. Information was shared with me I found deeply disturbing and goes against everything I support. I can't deplete my morals and principles like that. I would never tell anyone what to do or tell them not to support a brand. This is a personal choice I've made. Well, the fact that this this post was meant to do exactly that. Exactly. He's right. And guess what? The person doesn't even say what they're offended about. Or pre more accurately, what they're pretending to be offended about. Um, what is the deeply disturbing information? Well, they refuse to say publicly. They chose to tell people to DM them about it. Which is almost like a political move on the political chessboard. They're doing that so you automatically think of the worst, most morally abhorrent thing possible. They want your imagination to run wild by omitting that specific data. It seems pretty morally vacuous to say the least. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I suspect it's that they don't agree with my politics since one of them one of the individuals had like the side shaved head thing stuff like that again i don't and i i still don't discriminate it is kind of funny in the united states you can kind of tell some how someone votes just based on their haircut or if they're in shape it's just 
again, wind back the clock 20 years ago or 30 years ago, it is fascinating to see, culturally speaking, people actually used to, you know, suit up more often, as every man should, obviously, but they actually used to suit up just to go grocery shopping. People used to have pride, integrity in themselves. Now, incidentally, I actually do suit up while I'm grocery shopping because I like to optimize my time. If I'm grocery shopping, it's because I'm coming back from a customer onsite or customer appointment or visit. So optimizing my time, if I'm already in the car coming back, why not stop and get groceries? And it is fascinating to see how many people look at me with a weird eye. Now, granted, maybe that, that could just because uh, maybe I look funny. That's certainly a possibility, don't get me wrong. But I'm walking past people and they're in sweatpants or gym shorts. That... It's ridiculous. I, if anything, I think they should instate a clothing code at Walmart. You have to have at least, I'm not saying, you could have jeans. Jeans would be okay, but at least some sort of button-up shirt, ideally a blazer, I believe. Now I'm only 78 to eh, 38% kidding. But let me know, dude. Would it be so bad to have some standards in society for people to actually take care of themselves, look good? Or am I, am I just overly, am I, is that just a pie in the sky dream that we'll get back to someday of having a modicum of self-respect and, you know, suiting up more often? But I digress. Against uh uh you know any affiliates who want to work with us and uh now we had about a dozen people quit because these clowns put out these purposely vague statements and i tried you know they're like what is it what's going on i don't know what is it? so they have people disassociating with me causing me real financial harm they go on to continue the most hilarious part as a disclaimer i was partnered with your company this is after i called them out with your and although, for the record, although he does not suit up, Jimmy does have a collar on shirt, and he does have a beard, so he does have some styles, to say the least. Your company for four days. They never even announced it, never reached out to me for any information, which I'm available for, never sold a single bag of- Who the hell would take that person seriously? I was an affiliate partner for four days. Who gives a damn about you? Four days? At that point, I almost think Jeremy lost money on that instance. Because it takes some cost to have a unique URL to form an affiliate link for those people. And it takes some administration back-end cost and logistics for that. That is ridiculous. This person literally is spitting in his eye. Hopefully not physically, that'd be disgusting. But it's one of those instances where Jeremy is literally just giving these people opportunity. And... If this person only had the ability to sell the product for four days, they certainly didn't make Jeremy a profit. I suspect they actually lost money on that instance. And again, it's one of those things where they're just using it for clout to perhaps futilely, hopefully they're gonna increase their social media presence or get some extra followers because of this. Whatever modicum of integrity they had, they surely sold it out just to perhaps gain 20 more followers, which is ridiculous. Coffee. They used my company for clout. They never yep. even tried to sell or work with us. They just use it to put out this insanely uh, obscure post to smear my company. Not even a single sale? I was really? in the process of getting set up with a partner manager. In that time, I was approached by someone else who was your partner with your company and also exited, as I stated in my own post. I left for my own personal reasons. I never once told anyone who they could or could not support. Let's not get it twisted. Actually, you did, in fact, effectively do that. 
you also did not say you left for your own reasons. You said that you found information that was shared with you for, that was deeply disturbing. These are leftists. These are like libs, you know, and I don't understand it. You don't? It's a culture war. It's, it's a cult ideology. They can't be associated with you if you disagree one modicum, one little bit from the mainstream media. And again, look at Jeremy's views. Very few of them, I would argue, are controversial. Many people, if you want to back the clock, maybe 10 years, would probably call him more of a Democrat. Now, granted, I believe he actually owns a gun. So, of course, nowadays you're automatically far right if you, have, if you believe in the Bill of Rights at all. So perhaps that's why? I mean, if, when I see his controversial videos or the videos that people might consider controversial, I mean, you, he has to protect, ki protect kids and he calls some movies woke because they inject political ideology that people would associate with that brand. He's not spreading lies as far as I can tell. He's just providing you with additional information. But that, that's just too much for some of these folks. Um, you know, they, they don't, these are very small creators. This individual had for worked with us for two months and sold a grand total of five bags of coffee. And I was still happy to keep them in my partner program. Um, and they also put out this big tweet that had 30,000 impressions at the time I screen grabbed it. And it's like smearing my company. It's less, uh, it's less, it's less bad, but again, you know, as much as I enjoy the product, I cannot in good conscience respect a brand whose ownership holds strong viewpoints that go against my very identity as a human. Strong viewpoints? This, have these people never watched this guy before? What? You, you've been working with us for months. Suddenly now when you're, not, when you're not selling the product, when you're not making enough money, suddenly now you care about my politics, which are extremely inoffensive. And like all I wanted to do was give creators an opportunity to earn some money and help obviously to grow coffee brand coffee. It's not like I wasn't going to earn money out of it, but I specifically took, I specifically opened my doors to all creators as long as they were active and they had, you know, continued to post whether they were Twitter, Twitter memers or streamers or whatever, as long as you're active and growing, you can have the opportunity to earn some money. Now, if you have three people watching your videos, you're probably not going to sell a lot of coffee. Okay, I get that. But uh, I, I don't... But again, you shouldn't be blaming him. You should, make it, should be making your content better. Or spending more, spending money on advertisements, getting your video put in front of other videos. You can't blame his product for not being sold if no one's seeing it, the video. Get ...is going out of your way to have this weird clout grab and disparage my company. Now, of course, once I got wind of this, they immediately deleted the tweet. Shocking, right? Because I will stand up for my company and I don't want, because what was happening is this crap was making other affiliates quit, causing me actual financial damage because they didn't know what they were talking about. They're Although it also shows how, I don't say morally vacuous, but perhaps how spineless some of the other creators were. They, they chose to end the relationship with the quartering and the brand of the coffee or rather coffee brand coffee because of a tweet that says I'm deeply disturbed against something. I won't say what it is, but I would deeply dis disturbed that j just hearing that got you to quit altogether. Someone who previously supported you and enabled your business to grow. 
That's ridiculous. Beyond all belief. What do you mean deeply disturbing? Oh my god, what's going on? It was chaos in my affiliate um, Discord group. And people were emailing the partner ma my partner manager, Isaiah, nonstop. Here's what I'm telling. Here's what the thing. I'm going to put a link in the description. If you want to be a partner for us, if you create content or you're a Facebook group or you have a this group or that group, I, I encourage you to apply. Um, and we don't discriminate on politics. We want you to earn a fair cut for what you sell. And uh, I don't care if you make videos roasting my videos. I don't care. Um, I just want to... Interestingly enough, would this ever go the other way? Would that ever go the other way? Can you think of a product that might be invent? Well, I was gonna say it should be pretty, pretty easy to think of as many products that are made and represented by companies that are traditionally more on the left political side of the aisle. Would they ever allow someone on the right to represent their product? Or would they drop them like a hot potato in two seconds flat? Well, two tenths of a second perhaps is a little bit more accurate. Of course, what I'm saying is correct. Turn on Fox News. You're not seeing advertisements on Fox News for things like Nike or Starbucks. You're seeing, well, partially because the demographics of who's tuning in is usually old folks. So you see sponsored videos by pharmaceutical companies. But a lot of people who are in the middle or on the right, they don't get any of those advertising opportunities because these brands don't want to work with them. They're extremely political. They don't want anyone in the middle or the right representing their products. And Jeremy's trying to do the inverse to allow everyone the opportunity. Perhaps that's why they spit in his eye, so to say, and just threw just threw away that opportunity that they gave that he gave them. Uh, it's interesting. Everyone across the board, and a few people trying to sue my company isn't going to ruin that. And uh, it sucks though because it's hard to make it out here. Now I've got everybody and their mother. You know, I've got um, new competition coming up all the time. It's well, that's happening all the time. It's well, it's also one of those things where. Everyone sells coffee on the podcasting community. I I think it's because there's a lot of third-party logistic companies that help with the infrastructure behind that. Interestingly enough, I don't have a coffee brand yet. Maybe I will in the future. I almost, I almost feel like the market is saturated. Every single, seemingly every show has their own coffee. I can't help but think a lot of people are coffeeed out. Even I, who drink two pots of coffee a day, is on average. It's usually one of those things where I, I don't know if there's much demand left at the moment. I mean, in the comments, if you think differently, but it seems like for years, the competition has been growing exponentially for coffee. It's tough, but we, you know, our focus is to provide the best possible coffee, tea and cocoa, both flavored and unflavored that we can. And um, I'll use this opportunity to give everyone to say thank you to the nearly 50,000 customers that we have and um, offer everyone a, a promo code under attack 15% off site-wide there you go that's Good under idea. attack <laughs> one word 15% off and I'm gonna announce right now that I've just brought back our wildly popular spike jack-o-lantern flavor now I'll get the sperm and moms there you go and brand new delicious flavor pumpkin. I've never met a respected man who's bought a pumpkin spice latte uh, now that I think about it I can't think like, like, when I go there, I just get straight-up black coffee. Have you ever met a man who got pumpkin spice latte? I I don't think that's a thing. Let me in the comments. Have you ever seen that phenomenon? 
We might need to, we might need to fact check that. I've never seen a picture of it happening. It'll be interesting to see, but with this whole situation, I almost wonder, is it possible for companies to be apolitical these days? And Jeremy, he is the quartering. He's been very apolitical with many of his coverage when it comes to the cultural topics that he chooses. He's certainly not pejoratively speaking about any groups or political affiliations. It's one of those instances where, but does everyone just, is it just the human condition people want to be tribal and choose sides? I mean, some people call my tech company more right because we do shooting events. I never tell people who to vote for. We never tell people our political affiliations in any way. But people just gather that. And I would argue, I mean, the Second Amendment is for all Americans. It should not be a political issue. But it's fascinating to see people almost want to put a label to things. Perhaps this is the human condition. Let me know in the comments. Do you think it's possible to have a truly apolitical company these days? And... The good news is there's a lot of support for Jeremy. Now, the top comments on the video, again, this video within six hours, already got 63,000 views and 7,000 likes. So pretty darn good for such a quick video drop. Now, it looks like the top comment from Selrin6702, this person said, quote, this is what happens when you try to work with the left. I understand you want it to be apolitical with the coffee company, but when you try to work with activists, you should expect this sooner or, or later, unquote which I tend to agree with. There's a lot of people who are just politically ideologically driven. And again, if you don't agree with every single thing, you're ostracized nowadays from the left. They are a very tight, cohesive political movement, basically the opposite of the Republican Party where they're desperate for anyone to join them. Like, oh yeah, just come, come over here. We'll, we'll, we'll take you. Which has its pros and cons. Now that comment got 930 likes. You also have someone by the name of Tom Bowers, 6713, coming in and saying, quote, in today's age, if you're being attacked, then you're doing something right. Keep up the good fight against progressive tolerance, unquote. You got 660 views. Pretty darn impressive. You also have someone coming in by the name of the Duggering 63061. And they said, quote, that's why you don't give money to people who are your ideological enemy. Just because you're open to discussion and think you're being fair doesn't mean they will exhibit the same kindness. You gave them a chance. Now they have backstabbed you. It is your duty to discriminate against those types of people, unquote. And this person got 387 likes, which is fascinating enough. I wonder how many people are going to drop the brand just because he's being attacked like this and because they perceive him as being politically on the right more than the left. There are a lot of people who will immediately ostracize someone just based on their political affiliation. And it'll be interesting It'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Might this have a might this backfire against those activists? Do you think people become more loyal to the quartering or double down on their orders from his site of Coffee Brand Coffee? It'll be interesting to see. You might you might just get more loyalty from your current customers, and you might get some people in the middle, politically speaking, who feel like he's being unfairly attacked. Especially because they never name the issue that they're upset about. And again, if you look at his content, I would say most of it is pretty moderate to say the least. And I find, I don't think anyone would find it, anyone with level-headed would find it morally reprehensible or pejorative. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, gotta say, going to have to go to three cents. Other interesting culture news, you have Vivek Ramaswamy interviewing John Papa John Schneider. Now, let me go here really quick.
And fascinatingly enough, this is how, it's a whole hour interview, but one of my favorite parts is a post where he talks about the criteria for building a new business or a good business. And John Papa John famously founded Papa John's. He helped save that company from the bank of, brink of bankruptcy, I would say twice. If you read his book, it's quite a fascinating read. The book is actually called Papa, which I believe is out of print, but if you go on alternative sites, you have eBay and Amazon, you should be able to find a copy. I highly recommend it. It's a good read. But the second time he tried to fix the company, subsequently they pushed him out because of ideological beliefs. And a lot of people said he was framed during an HR meeting. They're asking, you know, procedures and what they're going to do. And he said, we're not going to say the N-word like the other restaurant that did and got a lot of trouble. Because he used the word in a reference point, nevertheless, he used it. He was immediately culturally canceled and the board directors swiftly moved against him. And many people say he has additional evidence that show they're conspiring against him the whole time. Now, this quick little woman minute excerpt is a fascinating interview. Go really quick. The irony of here, I'll talk out of both sides of my mouth. When I was 21, I knew I wanted to make pizzas and I knew I wanted to run the business. Here I am, 61. I don't know, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do next. I have four criteria. Okay. Um, what are they? I'm actually uh, interested in this. Um, it's got to be authentic. Yeah. It's got to be truthful. It's got to be real. Um, and um, if it's not substantive um, and stands the litmus test of truth, I don't want anything to do with it. Two is it's got a better humanity. I don't really want to do anything with alcohol or tobacco or the processed food bothers me a little bit, you know, a lot of it. I have the USDA. I think they're for sale. I think they're pretty all they're, yeah, well, they're prostitutes. Perspective. Yeah, they're they all, are. Yep. all the government's prostitutes. No, but USDA is pretty bad. You would yeah. know it. Yeah. Um, so better is humanity, authentic. Authentic. Uh, three is it's got to be scalable. Okay. You know, you're not That's running for the, the president of the Moose Club. You want to be president of the United States. You want to yeah. be. Big. Life is short. We have an impact. I love and that. And the fourth is you don't want to have to feed it. And, and the reason I say that is not because profit, I think profit's a very good word. It's not that profit's the main thing. But when I get involved with something, um, I always make it better. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm making profits, I don't have the resources to make it better. Because mm -hmm. if I'm doing something, I don't care if it's making whatever it's yeah. making. I'm going to do that plus twofold. Don't have to feed it means it's, it generates profit. It generates cash yep. flow. Yep, yep. absolutely. So, Pretty good points or pretty good things to look for when you're starting a business. Now, the whole hour interview is quite fascinating. I definitely recommend taking a look at it. And it's fascinating. Within the first four hours, it already got 166, what was it? Oh no, 130,000 views. So it's quite popular. And it's fascinating to see from a cultural perspective Vivek trying to move as well as conquer the political sphere, talking to kind of the average folks, entrepreneurs on his podcast. I think it'll help out with the polls in terms of culturally speaking. I think John Papa John is a brilliant entrepreneur. It'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. It'll be interesting to see where this podcast goes. Now, some of the top comments were someone by the name of Meta, what is this? Meta Builder saying, quote, Cancel culture has definitely got out of hand, but I see that people are shifting to logic. That person got 1,414 views and 15 likes, giving a ratio of 0.1%. So not the best ratio there. But you also have Adam Pierce saying, quote, this man is running for president and interviewing John Papa John on his own podcast. Next level stuff here. Vivek, I salute you, unquote. That person got 243 views and six likes. Pretty good, coming in at a 2.46% like ratio. 
Yesev. Thirdly, you have someone by the name of Ryan Wasihiki saying, quote, awesome Vivek for the people, unquote. Person got 1,728 views and 20 likes. It's not the best ratio coming in at 0.1%, but interesting enough, a lot of positive feedback. So it'd be interesting to see where they go from there. Other interesting cultural news, you have a man jailed for having the audacity of having free speech. The First Amendment continues to die yet again. Now, it looks like this man is by the name of Owen Shriver, and he's a journalist, and he's now being sentenced to two months in federal prison for that crime of free speech. Now, it's one of those fascinating things where I can't help but think his background has a lot to do with why they're going after him. He happens to be one of the other news reporters on InfoWars, which is famously owned by, I was going to say drumroll, everyone should know this by now, Alex Jones, who was sued for trillions of dollars. Apparently, again, the audacity of having a controversial opinion on free speech. Don't get me wrong, a lot of things he says is quite unusual and concerning, although it's even more concerning when sometimes conspiracy theories turn out to be true. But one of those instances where I still believe everyone should have the right to free speech, an opinion that used to be universally shared by all Americans. But unfortunately, times are somewhat changing. Now, it looks like Owen Schrover, although he never called her violence, but because he expressed ideals and made some people angry, the government said he was responsible for, quote, stoking the flames, unquote, in regard to January 6th. Apparently, so he did not go into the Capitol, but he was on the outskirts. Even though he told people not to go in there because he thought it was a Fed job, so to say, or an instance where it was organized and or executed by the federal government themselves, he was concerned that most people would actually be politically prosecuted, which turned about, turns out to be true. And it looks like he'd been battling this for two years before accepting his plea deal. So he's being sent to jail because of the First Amendment. And again, I'm not agreeing with everything he says. I'm not agreeing with his actions. I'm just saying, does it seem fair at all? Does the First Amendment even exist anymore? It's fascinating. Do you think, will Maxine Waters ever, ever get charged? She's a famous politician who actually venomously encourages people to cause a ruckus, so to say. It's fascinating from a cultural perspective. In the United States, you could cause $2 billion in damages, destroy cities, kill about 33 people with all the riots, and not, not hardly have any consequences. Quite the antithesis, actually. The government bailed them out of jail. Kamala Harris set up a whole fund where people could donate, and they would bail people out of jail. Fascinating, to say the least. Or, perhaps more accurately, a word would be concerning. Let me know, do you think this is politically motivated? What... Was this ruling in any way apolitical? I certainly don't think so, but it's one of those instances where, unfortunately, I don't think the Bill of Rights is really believed in by some people anymore. Perhaps the times shall change. I certainly hope they do, but we shall see. Going over to the political part of the podcast, you have the United Auto Workers making a concession. Dear God, I, I never thought they would. Now, they originally proposed 10 things that they want, which would cost each of the United Auto Workers $80 billion over the course of the four-year contract. Does that seem realistic at all? Hmm? No, it, it doesn't. Now, some people say, I don't know the gripes of the factory workers. I'm looking at this from one side. Well, 
I've actually had family on both sides of the UAW. Truth be told, some of them came from Michigan. And kind of by default, Michigan's big economic field, automotives, Detroit, kind of a big deal. So I have some fascinating tales from both sides of the political aisle, so to say, if you want to make this, well, it is a political issue since they donate millions by millions by millions of dollars to politicians. And they came to the table with these 10 things. And they had offers from all the big three automotive companies. The big three, they took their time putting the offers together. Someone ironic coming from a company who's, or an association or a union that's known for slowing down productivity. But nevertheless, they got offers back and they just called them insulting. The UAW president threw them in the trash pejoratively, which was good marketing because visually speaking, you get to see him throw something in a trash bin. The trash bin being labeled with crapped little uh, letters saying the big three. Now, they, they're finally offering a concession. Instead of wanting a 40% increase of wages, again, this is in addition to the nine other things they want, including working 32 hours a week, but getting paid for 40, getting pensions back, which are competitive or realistic in any way, getting retirement benefits back, getting increased medical benefits for retirees. They want cost of living adjustments, all of that, and much, much, much more. Now, instead of wanting 40% increase of wages, again, that would be over four years of the contract, but still, no, no one gets that good of, of a increase. Most people I know get two to 3% increases in their salaries, unless they're moving to a different role in the company. This, if people doing the same job, but just existing. So it's not even performance-based, which is a lot of people would say that's what a union is. It's just tenure-based. Best example in history being the post office. Perhaps the perfect analogy. Now, instead of a 40% increase, their concession is a 36% wage increase. 36%. Over four years, which is still huge. No one, no one's getting that. That's astronomical. And even if you divided it equally, so 36% over four years, it's a 9% increase every year. I don't know what substances they might be inhaling, but that is a very high number, pun moderately intended. And again, I don't think it's realistic because the industry trends right now. Right now, look at GM corporate. They cut 5,000 salary jobs in February 2023. By cut, I mean they bought them out of the contracts. So they paid out the remaining of their contract and eliminated the position. Their goal is to cut several billion dollars to directly compete with Tesla. I don't think that's a prudent business decision. I think the best thing for the unions and GM would actually need to be focused on their core competency. Their core competency being trucks, V8 engines. GM makes a great V8. The Corvette used to be a great vehicle with three pedals and a stick shift, as all cars should have. But their trucks are great. They make the company a lot of money. They used to be more durable. But Mary Barrow, the CEO, wants to go EV. That's the decision they want to make. Cadillac, she says, will be full EV by 2030. I don't think that's prudent. She wants the whole fleet, so all the GM's intellect brands. You have Buick, GMC, Chevrolet as well as Cadillac, she wants all to be EV by 2035. If they want to be successfully transitioning to an EV company, it's going to cost billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Also, they're going to need, going to, need to go out and hire 
software engineers. They need a different skill set for this type of transition because they're going to try to compete with Tesla. I don't know how realistic that goal is, but that is a goal. They chose it, not me. And in order to do that, it's going to be very risky, very expensive. And at the end of the day, it might not work out. It's a huge risk. They're literally changing around their whole business. Their most successful EV, I think, up to now being the Chevy Bolt, which appropriately burst into flames, pun intended. It was recalled, I believe, in 2019 for bursting into flames. And then last week, because the cord would shock you. So they have a lot to learn. I'm not saying they can't necessarily do it, but that's the direction they want. It's an expensive direction. And this is increasing their cost well above the competition's cost of labor. The competition's cost of labor is much more economical. Those cars are much more durable. Those vehicles, on average, those cars, in many ways, they're just better. Now, will Tesla last for 10 years? Hell no. I would never, for reliability, long-term longevity, I wouldn't rely on it. But it is the most popular EV and it's selling exponentially. Toyota and Honda, those last forever. And the cost of their labor is much less. Now, if the UAW wants to be invested in results, I think a good compromise would be have GM, Ford, and Chrysler give them stock options in the company. Give them an extra reason to be motivated and work like hell. And again, I don't mean to be pejorative or say people don't always work hard in these instances. I know some people who worked in fab shops, who worked in body panel shops, and I've gotten some nice feedback in the comments from people who are working in the assembly line at the UAW for some of, these, uh, some of the big three. So again, I'm not saying every single person is that, but I'm saying the incentive structure is more often than not based on tenure. I think, again, this would probably be the antithesis of the UAW's leadership with Sean, but I think a good idea would be give him more of an invested stake in the company, have him get more of a share in the stock, set up more of a profit sharing model. I, I think that would motivate both parties to work together to get the transition they want. Because again, they want to be an EV company. Let me know in the comments, do you think they'll succeed? Will they beat Tesla? Who again, just in one news article of them having a supercomputer added more stock value than all the stock value of BMW. All that was just added to Tesla just because of the news of their Dojo computer. So will coming down from 40% wage increase to 36% increase or wage increase, will that get approval by the big three? I don't think so, which is why, unfortunately, I think there's going to be a strike, which hurts a lot of people. Another issue that a lot of people aren't think I think some people in the comments aren't bringing up or concerned about is the economy. It's one of those instances, there's a very, the rate of people buying vehicles is decreasing, partially because the government, they printed more money than you could ever possibly imagine. Ironically, somewhat because UAW helps people get elected in government, but it's one of those instances where they printed so much money now to combat the inflation they themselves created. The government has to increase the interest rates. Increasing the interest rates, that's going to drive down demand on average for new vehicle purchases. So that's another issue. There is a lot of uncertainty. Most companies are laying people off. Everyone from Microsoft to Google to mom and pop shops. I mean, I believe Google or Microsoft alone laid off 10,000 employees because of the economic certainty and their decreasing profit margins. So it's a very, in terms of striking, it's very advantageous to do it now because they could hurt GM and the big three a little bit, but perhaps not as bad as if it would be a booming economy 
and you have a lot of people demanding new vehicles. Right now, I guess anecdotally speaking, no one I know is buying a new vehicle. They're trying to make things, they're, everything they're buying, they're trying to stretch their dollar further. They're trying to make it last. And Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, they're already artificially manipulating the market for trucks. Specifically, she shut down the truck assembly lines to try to help the dealerships out so they're not quote unquote overstocked. So they don't have to negotiate as much. So there's a lot of variables at play. Let me know in the comments, is decreasing their ask from 40% to 36% enough for the big three to say yes? What do you think are the realistic ask that they're coming to the table with that they'll get? What things do you think they'll be able to meet in the middle on? Will they be able to find common ground in time? I mean, it seems to be down to the hour, quite literally, since today the, the contract is expiring. And it's not to say, I'm not saying something might not come in at the final, you know, two in the, you know, 9 p.m. or something, but right now it seems as if all signs post to there, there will be a strike. How long it will last, how widespread will it be? They've, the union has already, many of the divisions and many of the companies, they've all voted overwhelmingly that they are in support of a strike. So I do, I mean, if, I would say if they don't get a, a deal they agree with by, you know, Thursday night at, you know, 11.59 p.m., I certainly think they will strike. I guess then the next question is how long will it be? What products will be disrupted? And how many, people say pejoratively scabs, how many band-aids will the big three have to hire to offset the strikes to keep products moving? And how much demand is there for products anyway right now? Let me know in the comments. It'd be fascinating to see what you have to say. And I appreciate your perspectives, whether you work at GM Corporate or you work at one of the UAW assembly lines. More data, the better. And I appreciate your input. Other interesting political news, you have affordable housing becoming more, uh, more concerningly uninsurable. Oh, golly, I wonder why. And people are concerned they might go away completely. Huh. Now, why, why would they be uninsurable? I wonder. Well, this is thanks to a news article from Bloomberg News, and they noted that efforts to build more affordable housing are threatened by the rising cost of insurance. The cause and the problem is caused by sharper, higher premiums and deductibles due to a string of severe natural disasters, along with crime, according to industry leaders. They also say that some insurers have stopped coverage for affordable housing developments altogether. Multifamily construction ha has since jumped since the pandemic, but developers say without government intervention, the housing crisis will get worse. A national advocacy group for housing is, says the country's economic well-being is at stake. Now, I don't know about that last part. I would love to see how much of the, how much of the economy really is affected by the government using tax dollars to build these huge housing units. I don't think it's a key part of the economy. Don't get me wrong, it's not zero, but... It'd be interesting to see. I'd love to have some more quantifiable data about that, actually. But yeah, it's one of those issues where government intervention, I'd argue more often than not, doesn't make situations better. It actually makes it worse. And in this case, it's been a phenomenon for years. I've actually known some landlords who have dipped their toe in these types of situations when it comes to tenants. And again, not all the time, but many of the time, there are a lot of issues with the affordable housing, payments on time, they have issues with crime, graffiti, vandalism. There's a lot of issues, and perhaps this might be more appropriately put in the culture part of the podcast, but it has to do with the government pissing away, I mean, investing and spending money. So I subsequently think that's not the best idea. Now, my three cents of how we could fix this issue, again, should be two cents, but for your hyperinflation, thanks to the government printing more money than we ever had before, 
It's going to be my three cents today. Should be four cents, but I'm a generous man, though it is still free to click the subscribe button. Now, when it comes to this, some people might say, and it's one of the pejorative things people use in politics, if you don't care, or if you don't agree with me, you don't care. If you don't agree with my methodology, you're evil. Well, no, I agree there are issues. I just had different methodologies and different formulas, different ideas to get there. Now, I can't help but see some parallels in this instance where why are people not treating their stuff with respect? Why, is there, why, is there, why are there higher rates of vandalism and crime in these areas? Well, there are many reasons for that. I think another issue is when they have the government intervening, well, they also not just help pay for the development costs, but they actually help offset the cost of rent to the landlord so the landlord doesn't go broke. Well, I should say more broke than they already would with the situation. So there are a couple of ways in which the government is intervening in the situation, but I think you see the same issue with the welfare of the United States. When you really don't feel connected to the government or any specific person, so you don't really feel a reason to pay them back or to be as grateful. Now, in terms of how we solve this, I think a much more effective solution for affordable housing instead of the government intervening were to have local religious communities help out. Have local communities come together and help these people and improve their overall situation. It, again, it's one of those things where there's more than one variable more often than not when it comes to troublesome situations and many things in life. Now, when it comes to affordable housing, I would think the whole goal would be to help the people accelerate their life and get them to the point where they could someday afford a house. I hope to afford it. Right now I'm renting. I hope and work like hell, hope to someday afford a house on my own. That'd be the utmost privilege. Now, when it comes to affordable housing, when you have welfare, when it's more of a one-on-one -on -one or a community thing, you feel a lot more connected to the individual who's handing you that check. Whereas if you get to get a check from the government, there's really no, you're not, you don't really have any feeling that you should pay them back. It's kind of an entitlement thing for many folks. Whereas if it's Bob down the street helping you out, you know Bob, Bob directly. You could quantify that. Bob is helping you. You feel like you want to work like hell to pay him back and do what's right for everyone. And again, I think when it comes to a lot of these instances where I help people, I think religious communities are much more effective in terms of dollar for dollar compared to the government using. Granted, the efficiencies of the U.S. government are so ridiculously low. The bar for that is, it's almost underground, the bar is so low. But with this instance, it just seems to be the definition of insanity. They just make the situation worse because the crime is going up, the vandalism goes up. Well, of course, the insurance premiums are going to go up as well. And insurance companies, they want to make money. So they're not going to insure these types of situations. So I think like a lot of these issues, I think can be solved on the local level. I think that's going to be the most efficient way to do it because we've tried this for several. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying it doesn't help some people. It certainly does. But I'm saying there's a lot of negativity in terms of all of this fallout that falls from the situation. Let me know in the comments. Do you think having a affordable housing that is organized, developed, and maintained from a local community standard or with a local religious institution would that inherently be not not just more efficient, but from a cultural perspective, do you think there would be less crime and less vandalism with the tenants actually in there because they feel like they're part of a community? They feel like everyone's working together to help them out? It'd be fascinating to see. Let me know in the comments. It'll be interesting to see, but unfortunately, because some of these self-inflicted inflicted issues, I think you're just going to see this issue get worse and worse as insurance companies... And again, there's natural disasters. Some insurance companies are moving out of states completely because of natural disasters. So again, there are a lot, there's more than one variable when it comes to this instance. And I do hope it gets better soon.
but time shall tell. Now going on to the business blunder of the day, you have BP executive resigning because of a probe. So BP's chief executive, Bernard Looney, resigned after acknowledging he failed to disclose the extent of a past personal relationship with colleagues. Now it looks like Looney became CEO in 2020 following a lifelong career with the, geez Louise, 133 year old energy, energy provider. It looks like he even was in charge of leading their green initiative in the industry with pledges to cut BP's own emissions by net zero by 2050 and increase investments in low carbon projects. It looks like temporarily he'll be replaced by Murray Oxalis, who's the chief financial officer while the company searches for new executives. Now in corp, you know, typical news speak or corporate speak you might say, you have BP saying, quote, Looney is out as CEO and he did, as he did not give a full accounting of his press relationships as should have when he was investigated in 2022. All leaders in particular are expected to act as role models and to exercise good judgment in a way that earns the trust of others, unquote. Which is political, but does make sense. And is also one of those issues where with unprecedented amount of access to data and information, it's kind of foolish to think no one's gonna find out about those past relationships. There's so much unprecedented access to data, not just social media, but just think of all the things in your life where it's being recorded somewhere, somehow. And yeah, it's one of those issues where he probably saw the writing was on the wall because again, you're the CEO of this company, your life is under a magnifying glass more than anyone else of the thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees. And they're gonna find everything. They, they probably know his favorite brand of salt by now. Say Morton has the best, but that's just because they're based in the Midwest and they got that fun little silly little girl with the little umbrella pouring the salt everywhere. But I digress. Hopefully no one was hurt because of those relationships or wasn't a negative experience in that regard. But again, one of the largest, most successful oil companies on the planet to have to be losing your chief executive because of a scandal like that, it's I would say that's gotta be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Again, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so you click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to like and comment. The feedback is greatly appreciated, whether it's your experience working on the UAW assembly line for the new Corvette, or if you're a GM manager struggling to maintain a budget with these negotiations. Whatever your experience is, I appreciate the input as it gives more information out, able to shape the stories even better, more accurately. Also, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, Tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe, fight the good fight.